In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will cut you into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell the servants his dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for more time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hanani, Mishael and Azria. He urged them to plead for mercy from God, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God for ever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I'm going to pray as we begin. Father God in heaven, this morning you are not speaking to us through a dream. You're speaking to us through your word. 
Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would reveal to us what you would have us hear. In your name, amen. Your teeth are falling out. Giant mushrooms are chasing you. There's a volcano erupting and a panther is on the loose. Apparently, that's just a classic lockdown dream. People's dreams have been more vivid over these last few months and a bit more scary. I wonder if you've had any sleepless nights. Has your mind been racing over lockdown? I have. Waking up and panicking about food shop slots isn't something that I ever thought that I would do. Professor Colin Espy, who's a professor of sleep medicine at Oxford, said this just a few weeks ago. One thing that is difficult for us to manage as human beings includes uncertainty. Therefore, that's the kind of emotion that is a part of the reality for us right now. And that feeling isn't limited to lockdown, is it? When life's circumstances show us that we're not in control and everything is uncertain, our dreams can be affected. When my first son, William, was born, it was all quite traumatic. And for a few months afterwards, I would often find myself waking up in the night in the corner of the room, scrabbling around trying to find William having had a nightmare. And whether or not your actual dreams are ever affected, I'm sure that we've all experienced times in life where we felt out of control, where uncertainty of what's going on has left us feeling all at sea. Well, that's the situation of the original readers in the book of Daniel discouraged Israelite exiles, uncertain of God's plans for them as they live in a foreign land. If this morning you're one of God's people feeling the uncertainty of life, then my prayer is that Daniel 2 will give you hope. Megan has already read the first half of the chapter. Don't worry, we'll be hearing from Ben a little bit later on. In the first half of Daniel chapter 2, we see the wisdom and power of God. Nebuchadnezzar was having sleepless nights. See that in verse 1? This isn't just a one-off. He was consistently losing sleep because of the nightmares that were keeping him up. Nebuchadnezzar was under a lot of pressure in this, the second year of his reign. It's about 602 to 603 BC. His kingdom was only a decade old and his father had left him fighting the Egyptians in the south while new enemy forces were rising in the west. His mind was troubled. What did these dreams mean? If only he knew what his gods were trying to tell him. So he called together the wisest men in the world. This is like a cobra meeting, but with added wisdom. And he asked them to explain his dream to them. In verse four, they say, tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. They're actually a little bit bolshy here, commanding the king what to do. But clearly, 
they've misunderstood his request. See that in verse 5? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just want an interpretation. He wants to make sure that they know what they're talking about. He wants them to tell him his actual dream. And the consequences are serious. Verse 5, it does make me laugh a little bit. If you're going to cut someone into pieces, their houses are very little use to them after that. To be fair to Nebuchadnezzar, he's a man who loves a carrot just as much as he loves a stick. While you'll end up in a thousand pieces along with your house, if you can't do this, if you do, there will be great honour and rewards for you. The wise men reiterate their request in verse 7, a little bit more politely this time. But Nebuchadnezzar is having none of it. He thinks plots are afoot to get rid of him amidst all of the pressure that he's under. See that in verse 9? It's a strange phrase, but he means you think it's time to change kings. He's a really worried man. He's worried that these wise men are just trying to placate him until they topple him. But the world's greatest minds are stumped. See that in verse 10? There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. It doesn't matter how great the king is. This is impossible. Oh, of course we can't do that, they say. We can't know what's going on inside your head, Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, only the gods could do this. But here's the problem. They don't live amongst us. That's their perspective. Gods and humans don't mix. These men have no sense of a God who would try to communicate to them. One writer said that these wise men make their living trying to navigate the distance between divinity and humanity. But here they realize the impossibility of the task. Of course, we know why. They serve false gods. Gods that are no gods at all. Gods that are dumb. Gods that can't speak. These wise men were used to, to throwing sheep's guts on the floor and telling a fortune based on the blood splatter that fell. Their wisdom was from their own minds. Their system doesn't compute a revelation from a god. And so, in a rage, Nebuchadnezzar orders them to be executed, along with all the other wise men in the kingdom. And that's where Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah come back into the picture. We've not seen them so far in Daniel chapter 2. But these faithful young exiles are suddenly on the chopping block for something that they've had absolutely nothing to do with. Sounds a little bit like some of the workplaces that I've been in, although with slightly more serious consequences. 
Daniel's wisdom and tact, which we saw last week in chapter 1, meant that he got more time where the Babylonian wise men had failed. Let's see that in verse 14 to 16. But what was his plan? What was he going to do? Let me read verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. There's only one fundamental difference between Daniel and his friends and the Babylonian wise men. They worship a different type of God. There's nothing inherent in any of them that is able to do this task. But Daniel and his friends worship the God of heaven. The true God. He is a God who they can speak to. And he is a God who speaks to them. So they pray, pleading for compassion from their God and for revelation to the mystery of the dream. And having prayed, what did they do? They go to bed. While Nebuchadnezzar is presumably still pacing the floor of his bedroom, these young exiles have left their future in the hands of their God, and so they rest easy. And so to verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. God answers their prayer. What a moment. Their lives have been saved. God has rescued them. And not from the last time in this book. How does Daniel respond? With a psalm of praise to his God. Let me read from the second half of verse 19. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. For the rescuing work he has done, Daniel praises his God for his wisdom and for his power. And Daniel shows us in verse 21 that God's wisdom and power can be seen as he makes nations rise and fall. As he casts up rulers and then raises them to the ground. All in his perfect plan. We'll see in the second half of the chapter that that is exactly what the dream is about. Nebuchadnezzar was worried that his wise men were trying to get rid of him. But it's clear that God is the one who is in control with ultimate power and wisdom. And though he is the God of heaven, a God who is transcendent, he's also the God who, who gives and reveals. See that in verses 21 and 22? He, he doesn't leave his people in the dark. Because he's a God of light. And Daniel finishes this psalm of praise by thanking God that he has given him wisdom and power. Daniel now possesses something of God's. 
He has been gifted wisdom and power. Exactly what he praised God for back in verse 19. Daniel had no wisdom or power in himself. He was just a Jewish exile. He's powerless, poor, on the cusp of execution. The situation looks foolish. And in Daniel chapter 2, this is where Daniel points us forward to the Lord Jesus. Because God's own son was a Jewish exile. Powerless. Poor. He wasn't just on the cusp of execution. He was executed. And he looked foolish and weak as he died on that cross. You see, the moment in all of history where God's power and wisdom was most clearly seen was when his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God come to live among humans, died on the cross. I'm going to read several verses from 1 Corinthians 1. The words will be on the screen, but if you would like to turn there, please do turn to 1 Corinthians 1, chapter eight, uh, 1, Corinthians 1 verse 18. And as I read Paul's words, just see how all of these themes from Daniel 2 come together as God's power and wisdom is shown through the seeming weakness and foolishness of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It looked like foolishness. It looked like weakness. God dying? It looked like he was impotent, unable to save himself. He, he looked like all of God's wise plans for all of history were unraveling. But by that death, he won salvation for his people by dying to forgive us for our sins. He rescued us from certain death, just as God rescued Daniel and his friends. This is the God of heaven, 
a wise, a powerful God whose power was shown through the weakness of the cross and whose wisdom was shown through the foolishness of the cross. If the first half of the chapter shows us the power and wisdom of God, then the second half of the chapter shows us the enduring kingdom of God. And Ben is going to read from Daniel chapter 2, verse 24 for us now. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet, uh, on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them, uh, over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly, were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be, uh, nor will it be left to another people. 
It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Thanks so much, Ben, for reading those verses to us. We've already seen the wisdom and power of God. So now we see the enduring kingdom of God. That is the main point of this dream, but we'll get there in a moment. When we start in verse 24, only Daniel knows the dream. We as readers don't know it, and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know it yet. He's still tossing and turning in bed. But Daniel goes to him humbly and says that the king was right. No one can explain the mystery of the dream to, to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he can. Daniel points Nebuchadnezzar to the wise, powerful God. Here's the basics of the dream. You've already heard it in the reading. There's a statue. A really incredible statue. See that in verse 31? It's large, enormous, dazzling, awesome. Did you get the picture? I've been reading The Enormous Crocodile by Roald Dahl with my son this week. But as we've gone through the week, he's begun to call it the, the ginormous crocodile. Well, this is a ginormous statue. Impressive in appearance in every way. But it's also a strange statue. It's made of materials in descending order of monetary value from the top to the bottom, which, which isn't a great way to make a statue. The head is made of gold. The chest and arms are made of silver. The belly and thighs are bronze. The legs are iron. And then the feet are this strange mixture of, of iron and partly baked clay. Clearly, a weak unstable end to the statue. But as Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and saw the statue, he saw that a rock was cut out of a mountain. And it's emphasized that this rock was not cut out by human hands. You can see that in both verse 34 and verse 45. There's a hint that this is some kind of divine rock. The rock hits the unstable feet and smashes them, which leads to the rest of the statue being broken into pieces, a little bit like the threat that Nebuchadnezzar made to his wise men earlier in the chapter. And the wind then blows them away. And in verse 35, 
it says that there's no trace of them left. It's gone forever. But while the statue is gone, the rock grows and grows and grows until it becomes a huge mountain. If you thought the statue was big, then look at the end of verse 35. The rock became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. The statue is dwarfed by what the rock becomes. Daniel has done what the Babylonian wise men could not do. He's told Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamed, and now he's going to tell him the interpretation. Each part of the statue represents a kingdom. The head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar himself. See that at the end of verse 38? He is the king of kings, but he is only in that position because God has put him there. And in verse 39, a pattern begins to emerge. One king and kingdom will give way to another, which will then give way to another and another. None of these kingdoms will last. They will each be increasingly inferior and they will all end. Until we come to verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. Now, thousands of books have been written about these kingdoms, as well as the kingdoms and images that we'll see in Daniel's chapter 8 through to 12. But truly, that isn't the main focus of this passage. God graciously told Nebuchadnezzar that the first one was him. That's what he needed to know. And then the next four chapters of Daniel are going to illustrate to us exactly what the dream is saying about the statue. That no earthly kingdom lasts forever. I made the mistake myself. When I was asked to preach on Daniel 2, I thought, oh, okay, that's Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the statue. But just look at verse 45. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the statue. It's the vision of the divine rock. At the end of the dream, there's no statue left. It fell flat, went into pieces, and then was blown away in the wind. Why would we fixate on something that is nothing and risk missing the kingdom of God? The Old Testament is a bit like, like a richly furnished but dimly lit room. We see the odd sparkle of light off gold in the corner and a glint of something at the other side as we scan the room. But it's only in the context of the New Testament that we see things clearly and fully in the light. Daniel had this dream revealed to him, but not as clearly as we do. We know that the kingdom of God was inaugurated through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the rock and his kingdom will never end. And we know that we enter that kingdom through his death on the cross. That weak, foolish looking death that was truly the wisdom and power of God. Which means that our citizenship is in a kingdom that will never end. Our citizenship is in a kingdom that will last, that is certain. A kingdom with which there is no uncertainty or instability. That is our hope. We are on the winning side. And that is the hope that we can cling to in times of uncertainty. God's kingdom is unstoppable. It is growing. It will never end. And I am in it. I don't know the circumstances that you find yourself in this morning. I I can't even see you. I I wish that I could. And soon, maybe, we will. But if these last few months have taught us anything, they have taught us that we're not in control and that life is uncertain. As members of the kingdom of God, uh, but just like Daniel, as we live in a strange land here on earth, we can know that our wise, powerful God's kingdom will never end because of what he's done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's financial insecurity or future uncertainty. Whether it's relational instability or the dreariness of monotony. What's going to happen to my job? How am I going to pay off the mortgage? How will my kids cope starting back at school in September? How, how will I cope through the summer holidays? What happens if there's a second wave? How am I going to deal with even more loneliness? Whatever is going on, and whatever is uncertain, and there is much that is, we can know that God's kingdom will last forever. That is the good news of Daniel chapter 2. But there's also a warning and a challenge in this passage. All other kingdoms fall. And if you're not in God's kingdom, then you've got no certainty. And you've got no hope. In Luke chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus says that he is the rejected cornerstone. And as he draws on the imagery of Daniel 2, he says that if rejected, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. If you don't yet know the Lord Jesus, if you are not in God's kingdom, know that this is a matter of life and death just as it was for Daniel and his friends. 
but also know that the wise, powerful God sent his son to die on a cross in what seemed like like weakness and, and foolishness. And because of that, you can come to him, trust in him, and be forgiven for your sin and become part of his kingdom. Even this morning, you can come to him like Nebuchadnezzar does at the end of the chapter in verse 47 as he falls down before God and says, surely you're the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. Because God saves lives by revealing his power and his wisdom found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom will never end. So we can hope in him and all that he's done for us. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we do humbly fall down before you now and say, surely you are the God of gods, the one true God the Lord of kings, the ruler of all rulers and a revealer of mysteries. Thank you that you revealed to us uh, the mystery of your son, the Lord Jesus, God himself, uh, dying in foolishness and weakness on a cross. But truly, that was power and wisdom to us who believe. Father, may we trust in this truth, knowing that we are in a kingdom that will never end. No matter what uncertainty is going on in our lives or in the world, that we can be sure of that true and certain hope. Father God, we ask these things in your name. Amen. We're going to sing now. We're going to sing of Christ, the cornerstone. And then we're going to have a prayer from Horace White.